Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that was murdered by a vanishing banshee made of matter from another dimension. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. Together, we're working our way through the entirety of the MCU. And doesn't anyone remember Ultron? I'm trying not to. So listen <laughs> up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 4, Episodes 1 through 8. Okay, obviously, the A number one four color fact we have to talk about right now <laughs> is the Ghost Rider. I am so excited. It may get more exciting because we are also going to talk about the Ghost Riders, plural. Ooh, more oh, yeah. than one? Oh, yes, quite a few. In fact, in fact, one of the things that Agents <laughs> teases badly. Uh -huh. is that there have been multiple Ghost Riders in the MCU. Ah. Coulson, who said nothing the entire series about a man <laughs> with a flaming skull on a motorcycle, comes <laughs> trit-trotting in in the last scene is like, well, the last Ghost Rider, shut the fuck up, Coulson. You don't get to do that on the last fucking scene. You were as surprised as everybody else six episodes ago. <laughs> But I wasn't surprised because I know that there have been more Ghost Riders. In fact, oh my God. <laughs> there has been a Ghost Rider since 10,000 B.C. Wow. When a prehistoric boy named Ghost first made a deal with Mephisto, who you may remember as the preeminent version of Satan in the 616, but not mm -hmm. the only version of Satan in the 616, <laughs> Ghost made this deal, of course, in order to gain his vengeance. Also... Johnny Blaze, the most famous and current Ghost Rider, other than Robbie. There's two at a time. Mm -hmm. It's fine. It's been this way for a minute. But he is really other than Robbie. In fact, he's probably the more famous Ghost Rider uh -huh. in the comics. He also made a deal with the devil, who turned out to be Mephisto, to save his stepfather from cancer. But then Mephisto made sure that his stepdad died in a motorcycle jump right after becoming cancer-free. <gasps> Mephisto's a douche nozzle. Like, that's oh the bottom God, line. Oh, my God. That's the Worst. Okay, now Nicolas Cage, the movie with Nicolas Cage, was he Johnny Blaze? Yes, he is the Johnny okay. Blaze version of Ghost Rider. And let me tell you, as an aside, we could <laughs> absolutely watch and talk about that movie because I maintain that the parts of that movie that aren't Ghost Rider are amazing. And I don't understand how you make a living heavy metal album cover boring, but they did it. However, <laughs> however... <laughs> Vaguely Elvis impersonating occult investigator slash motorcycle stuntman Nick Cage. That yeah. part of the movie is brilliant. Oh and my yes, God. He is Johnny Blaze in that film. All right. Now I have to tell you something, and this does not need to be in the episode. Oh, but I bet it's going to be though. <laughs> I am going to find for you, very, like the first podcast I ever did was a podcast called Will Write for Wine that I did uh -huh. with my friend CJ Berry, who's also a writer. And um, in like the third episode of that, we were we always started out drinking like whatever it was we were drinking we were talking about and then whatever it was we'd done that week. And she said, well, I went to see a movie. And I was like, well, what movie did you go to see? And she said, oh, Lord. Ghost Rider. And then she starts explaining 
and I went for like I don't know a couple of minutes. Wait, his skull is on oh. fire, yeah. and she was explaining the whole thing. It was actually like the earliest episode of Listen Up, A Holes, before <laughs> we even knew each other. It's so much, and every time I think about Ghost Rider, I think about that whole his skull is on fire. I will find that episode for you so that yes. you can listen to it. I because really it's want pretty to. much just this. I really want to because the part of this that makes it proto a holes mm-hmm. is that any of that stuff you would have been shocked by i would be like oh yeah no let me explain <laughs> and i'm certain i'm certain that your friend was like listen all i know is what the fucking movie told me and the movie told me not enough <laughs> As I recall, I think she knew a lot more about Marvel than I did. But huh? anyway, yeah. It I was, mean, that was no shade. I'm funny. just saying, Ghost Rider's kind of a deeper, deepish cut. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. All right. However, our most recent version of Ghost Rider never made a deal with the devil. Uh-huh. In fact, unlike the other writers, he's not even possessed by a spirit of vengeance. That's a uh-huh. capital S, capital V. Like, there yes. are a few of them, and they're, they're a thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Roberto Robbie Reyes, a Mexican-American Los Angelino, was killed in a street race by gangbangers who were after Mr. Hyde's pills, which were in the trunk of the Dodge Charger that Robbie had borrowed from the body shop where he works. Uh-huh. This is a car which also belonged to his long-lost uncle, Eli Morrow. Mm-hmm who in quite a departure from the MCU, was actually a Satanist serial killer who worked for the Russian mob (laughs) and ritualistically murdered 39 people before the Russians had had enough of his wacky hobbies and murdered him instead. Wow. Eli continued to haunt the car that would become known as the Hell Charger until Robbie, dying at the wheel, allowed himself to be possessed by his uncle's spirit so as to exact his vengeance upon the gangbangers. So wait, so Robbie's, Robbie's, is Robbie there or is he just, is it just Eli running around in a Robbie suit? That is a bit of a complicated question. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the time Uh with the various ghostwriters, there is some contention between the spirit of vengeance and the man or woman, usually man, Mm -hmm. with whom Mm -hmm. they are bonded. There's always a little bit of tug and push and pull. Yeah. In the case of Robbie and Eli, it was all out spiritual warfare. Like every time, wow. whether he was ghostwritered out or just walking around normal, Eli is in his head looking for cracks, trying to take over. There's a big tussle over it. They oh do eventually God. come to an agreement. But when Robbie gives in to his more negative emotions, more uh-huh. of his anger and desire for vengeance, when he goes a little too far, Eli will happily just take over. Oh, my God. Which causes his ghostwriter form to flip the absolute fuck (laughs) out and get even more powerful. Uh Uh-huh. But I am jumping ahead because let's talk about Robbie's actual ghostwriter form, Mm -hmm. which, unlike the example in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., is pretty different from his predecessors. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the happy side effects of Robbie not being connected to, you know, the usual spirit of vengeance Mm -hmm. is that he has this really different look in his skull. So all previous writers that we've ever seen looked like a human skull wreathed in flame, right? Right. Just Mm -hmm. like we see on the show. Yes. Robbie in the comics, his skull is decidedly inhuman, but not in that way. Don't get excited. (laughs) There's just no better way to say it. Lowercase i inhuman. Lowercase i. Okay. 
Uh, what I mean by that is it looks like it's kind of made from metal or chrome, so it kind of matches the muscle car that he drives instead of a motorcycle. Oh, interesting. Now, for the listeners at home, I am going to tell you, I have a, a link for Lonnie to click. Her reaction oh, no. is not going to be to the level of MODOK. It's not okay. going to be, but I wanted her to be able to see what Robbie's metallic chrome skull looked like. All and right. I'm a little sad that it didn't make it into the show, but go ahead and give it a click and tell me what you think. All right, let me go ahead and see this. I'm getting a... Oh, wow. It's yeah. pretty dope, right? That is metallic, yeah. A flaming skull is amazing. Again, yeah. the Ghost Rider is a living <laughs> heavy metal album cover. But to just take that a step forward uh-huh. and yeah. kind of give it this very like lucha yeah. kind of look to it while also being like burnished chrome and, you know, mm-hmm. just flame coming out of his nostrils and the whole deal. It's fantastic. I really All like right. it. I really like it. So much like I mentioned, Eli and Robbie, they're in that constant battle to see who would dominate both of Robbie's forms, either Mm -hmm. Robbie or the writer. And eventually Mm -hmm. they do come to an agreement. And the way that they do that is Robbie agrees that they can keep on murdering people, but Mm -hmm. only the bad ones. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, it's fine. <laughs> That's a compromise. It's it's how they, you know, it's a family coming together. Right. <laughs> but it's a lot of murder. And I got to uh-huh. tell you, I kind of miss the second Ghost Rider who didn't murder so much as give the penance stare. And I was Ooh. really, really hoping that the penance stare would show up in the what show. What is the and penance it didn't. stare? So... The previous ghostwriter to Robbie, a young yes. man named Daniel Ketch, who's also the long-lost missing younger brother to Johnny Blaze. It's a whole uh-huh. fucking thing. All right. When he became the ghostwriter, he would grab people and just like lock eyes to eye sockets mm-hmm. with them. And he would force them to relive every evil thing that they had ever done to anybody. That's their penance. That is the Ooh. penance stare. Now, these are people who were out at the very least murdered somebody because wow. that version of Ghost Rider only showed up after innocent blood had been spilled. Ooh. So death is quick, man, but penance stare shit will fuck you up proper. And it always feels more like justice to me. It feels like yeah. real justice. Yeah. You're living with the pain you inflicted on others. Exactly. Yeah. So he doesn't have the penance stare, but Robbie does have some powers that other writers don't. Mm-hmm. The Hell Charger has a gateway to and through Hell in its trunk. So it can be used to teleport people and things or store them far away where no other hands can get to them. Oh, okay. The car can be remotely driven, like he just thinks about what he wants it to do and it will do it. And it will Mm -hmm. pass through both Robbie and Robbie as the rider, which allows Mm -hmm. it to smash into enemies that might have a hold of Robbie without hurting him at all. Wow. Obviously, much like they mentioned in the show, it also heals itself when it's wrecked. But honestly, that's pretty rare because the damn thing's nearly indestructible. <laughs> it's And that really just kind of scratches the surface. It's got a lot of stuff like creating portals. Like mm-hmm. he can he can sort of harness the trunks portal and create these hellfire portals so that he can wow. drive the whole car into hell or through hell. Because sometimes he uses wow. hell as a shortcut, you know, like you do. <laughs> It's pretty great. And my When you just per- can't face the LIE again. Th- yeah. Maybe it's easier to drive through hell than Los Angeles traffic. Uh, it's entirely possible. Yeah, it seems, seems reasonable. 
Sure. My personal favorite power that Robbie has that we have not seen in any other writer is that mm-hmm. he is actually able to imbue some of the Hell Charger's power into basically whatever he's driving. Oh. I have seen this done to a tractor, like a combine. <laughs> oh my because god! That's okay, all he that had. That is the best ever. It I was love really the good. Hell tractor. That's awesome. He also did it to a celestial's corpse. So he drove the celestial's corpse like it was his vehicle. He made a giant god uh, scientist's dead body uh, uh, into a uh. ghost rider. Wow. Yeah. All right. Now, it will surprise you not at all to know that that kind of big giant madness happened Mm -hmm. while he was serving with the Avengers, which he is currently doing in the most recent run of that series. And (laughs) let me tell you something. He earns his spot every damn issue. He is amazing. (laughs) And considering that my elevator pitch for this Avengers run is what if the Avengers decided to quit fucking around and become the Justice League? That is saying some shit. (laughs) I love it. So that's really the big picture of Robbie Reyes. I mean, there's Uh a lot of like little cul-de-sacs and stuff we could go down and him finding a balance with Eli took 12 or 15 issues. Like it was a whole... You know, thing yeah, before that sounds he was cool. settled down. Yeah, it's very good, and I like a lot of the Ghost Riders, and I like yeah. Robbie a lot. No, it's cool. I mean, from from an outside perspective, right? A guy on a flaming motorcycle whose skull is on fire is patently ridiculous, right? Sure. Um, but I kind of dig the whole thing. Like, yes, it's, it's very cool. It's it's funny how something that that from a distance that seems so incredibly ridiculous. When you actually engage with it, you're like, yeah, all right, let's go. You know, <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. No, listen, uh-huh. this is one of those things where I'm like, I'm real damn mad yeah. that Marvel owns this concept because <laughs> I want to do shit with it. Like, yeah. I just want to real bad. I, I, I mean, the Ghost Rider, you're right. It's kind of a ridiculous concept, but it's like ridiculous slash terrifying. Yeah. And also awesome. And, right. you know, like, and the car being on fire and the motor, like, is this one thing for his head to be on fire? I think it's one of these things where, like, it's go big or go home. Like, if you uh-huh. just had a guy running around in a Dodge Charger or, you know, on a motorcycle whose head, like, skull would light on fire and then he'd kill people, it'd be like, all right. But there's also the idea that, like, he's got this car that is a portal to hell and uh-huh. that it has this and there's this whole like you know the hell metaphor and the vengeance and the satan and the demon and the and the idea that that he's in a fight for his own soul with evil which is his uncle like um there's so many things wrapped up in this that feel like any single one of them would be just ridiculous but somehow when you put them all together you know, it's just it's 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 good. Like it's really interesting. And I actually I thought Ghost Rider when I first saw the previews, you know, for season four of Agents <laughs> of Shield, I was like, all right, so this is the season when Agents of Shield tanks. All right, fine, we had three good seasons. It was a fun run. Excuse me, it tanked yes. at jump. <laughs> all right. So look, what you mean I is, like oh, season it. four is the dead cat bounce. That's what you meant. <laughs> All I have to say from jump. Uh, all I have to say is I think season four. I thought season three was my favorite season, but as we're watching season four, 
I think maybe season four is my favorite season. But before we get into that, please, please, please finish up your four color facts, because I believe you're going to tell us a little bit about the Darkhold, which I'm fascinated to find out about. I am going to tell you about the Darkhold. (laughs) It's fantastic. So the so-called Book of Sins began as the repository of knowledge for C'thon, a demonic elder god who was Earth's first practitioner of black magic. As a very traditional practitioner of the dark arts, C'thon wrote all of his collected knowledge of magic into iron-bound scrolls that were Mm -hmm. the original form of the Darkhold. Mm -hmm. Humans did not encounter the Darkhold until much later, though, but still before the sinking of Atlantis. So later, but still like... (laughs) 15, 10, 15,000 years ago, you know, a while ago. Got it. So Mm -hmm. you may recall way back in our 34th episode that I mentioned Marvel had the licenses to several Robert E. Howard properties. Mm -hmm. That included not just Conan, but also King Cull and Tulsa Doom. Right. Mm -hmm. Doom's followers were called the Darkholders and were Mm. responsible for creating the first vampire, Varney, with Uh the Darkhold. Oh, my God. They also managed to sneak off with the book before Atlanta sank. So good news. <laughs> all that evil gets to survive into the present. The next recorded time that we saw the Darkhold was in mm-hmm. roughly the 7th century when Morgan Le Fay, you know, mm-hmm. Arthur's Morgan Le Fay, right. bound the scrolls into a book for the first time. And she's probably also the reason that it was translated into Latin. Uh-huh. After her, pages were scattered across the globe by cults of Cathan worshippers. Using a page would summon the Darkhold Dwarf, a minion, or maybe a manifestation of Cathan? We're still mm-hmm. not sure, who then tried to manipulate and corrupt the user. I know uh-huh. with a name like Darkhold, you'll be shocked to discover <laughs> that it tries to manipulate and corrupt you. That is surprising. <laughs> and I'm just going to stop there for a minute and mm-hmm. mention how impressed I am at the prop construction for this show. Yeah. yeah. Because they they were like, we need an evil book, and it's called The Darkhold. And somebody <laughs> showed up and was like, how you like this? It looks like an evil book, but it says Darkhold right across the cover like my fucking Trapper Keeper. Subtlety is for saps, man. I love it. We next jump to the 12th century, when a heretical monk named Alfric had reformed the Darkhold, which got him and the book burned at the stake. Oh, my God. Well, the book was burned at the stake. Oh, It okay. was, but the Darkhold reformed itself <laughs> while the monk did not. Oh. By the 17th century, the Vatican had the Darkhold, and uh-huh. Dracula wanted it. So he sent a thief to get it for him, but Cogliostro killed the thief and took it for himself. At some point, the vampire Lord Ruthven, a character from the 18th century novel The Vampire, Uh possessed the Darkhold. Okay. Now, while the Darkhold is not entirely responsible for werewolves, (laughs) it is responsible for the curse of werewolfism on one particular family line that would result in a man named Jack Russell, yes, really, who is a werewolf (laughs) and the main character in Marvel's comic book, Werewolf by Night. Wait, but they named him Jack Russell? You're goddamn right they did. (laughs) The cutest little dog ever they named the scary werewolf man for? All right, no, it's fine. Bait and switch. Bait and switch. It's fine. 
Hi, I'm Jack Russell. That's cute. Whoa, that's less cute. <laughs> but all that aside, I think my favorite little tidbit of what's in the Darkhold is the Montesi formula. Mm-hmm. So named for an Italian monk who discovered the incantation within the Darkhold's pages, it is a spell that can utterly eradicate vampires, the scourge originally created by the book. Unfortunately, it has a downside. If the spell is ever broken, every vampire that died due to the formula would be rejuvenated and returned to life. Uh Uh-huh. This has happened at least two times. (laughs) The Marvel Universe is fucking wild, you guys. It's so good. It's oh my so God. good. You know, there are a lot of things in my life that when I started them, I did not know what I was getting into. And I think, listen up, a-holes. <laughs> <laughs> like, right up there. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is right up there with just this stuff is crazy bad shit. It is crazy bad shit. This is what happens when you have a bunch of people who uh-huh. just are unrepentant nerds, right? Uh-huh. I mean, just, they have just absorbed occult knowledge and geographical knowledge. Remember, this is before Google, right? So it was just right. like, you would just find something interesting and go, well, that's going in a story or whatever. <laughs> and then and then you actually get to play with some of the stuff that you liked when you were a kid, like these guys getting to write Conan stories and King Cole stories. And then they get to go, oh, oh, oh. Next month, I'm going to go write an issue of Werewolf by Night or Uh. I, Vampire or Tomb of Dracula. So I'm going to write a book in Mm -hmm. the ancient history of the Marvel Universe. And then next month, I'm going to have it show up over here in this other book I'm writing and Dracula wants it. That's Uh awesome. (laughs) No, it is. It's very, very cool. And I absolutely love the Darkhold. Now, as we move into talking about the first eight episodes of season four of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is the Ghost Rider arc, right? Um, I overall, like my overall impression from this was I have never been, I have never anticipated so much disappointment and been met with just so much glee. <laughs> like I, when I first saw that Ghost Rider was going to be part of this, I was like, eh, you know, I looked at all this stuff and I was like, no, this is just weird. And then as I watched it, I really enjoyed it. You weren't wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's all weird. It's pretty weird. It's definitely weird. weird. But I love it. I mean, we've got these four ghost scientists that are actually not super ghosts, but kind of ghosts. And then they infect people. And then you see the dark faces and May loses her mind. And the dark, I mean, all of it in eight episodes. What we do in eight episodes in which the guy with the flaming skull and the self-healing demon car (laughs) is not really the weirdest thing we're dealing with. Like, that is awesome. There are so many levels of awesome going on in these first eight episodes, at least for me. I, I don't, there's something about the complete run into insanity somehow within the Marvel Universe. And I don't know if it's just that everybody plays it straight. Like, yeah, this is this is what we're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but it just, it works for me. So as somebody who has the experience, who kind of knows what to expect and how wild it is, I'm really curious what your impression was of this Ghost Rider arc in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I liked it a lot. I mean, okay, these good. eight episodes are a lot of fun. 
It does mm. falter in the dismount a little bit as far as mm -hmm. I'm concerned, because yeah. I was really at the beginning of the of the first eight episodes. I was really thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to go hard for like ghosts and monsters and mm -hmm. demons and shit. Yeah. And they kind of soft pedal that by about two thirds of the way through because mm -hmm. because you literally have Ghost Rider standing right here. If yeah. ever there was a moment for somebody, perhaps somebody with a flaming skull, turn to Fitzsimmons and be like, yeah, there's a little more going on here than what you can measure in your lab. Ghost Rider is that guy. Fucking science yeah. ghosts. I know, right? Science ghosts. So they soft pedal it a little bit for me. Uh -huh. yeah. And also, my one complaint, I'll get my single Ghost Rider complaint out of the way, is that they have a TV budget. Because there mm -hmm. was a lot of times when Robbie was kicking ass that it 1,000% should have been the Ghost, Ghost Rider, Rider who was kicking yeah. ass. Mm -hmm. um, there were a couple of times uh, when I really wanted Ghost Rider to just be like, this shit's not working on me. I, mm -hmm. You haven't planned for this. Like, it took him way too long to bust out of the, the containment room because I was uh -huh. like, yeah, that's going to take him about 10 seconds. And then it was like a whole thing. <laughs> So largely, I really liked it, um, but I felt like they maybe went like a little small ball mm -hmm. with it, you know, just a little <laughs> in I comparison. Guess. In comparison, like for me, I was like, OK, this is over the top, but it's cool. But also, like, I mean, I get like the they didn't maybe use Ghost Rider as much as they could have. But when they did, I thought the effect was great gorgeous i thought oh, yeah. it was beautifully done the way Fantastic the flame job. just starts coming out of his face and then it's just he's just a flaming skull and he's terrifying and yet it's robbie and robbie's kind of good but he's clearly possessed by something that is not like doesn't seem good but yet is interested in vengeance and we all know that vengeance is bad because we all saw season three and we heard colson say it over and over and over again and yet here we have this vengeance which is this dark side of justice Justice kind of going after the people who had been bad. It is so like interesting and uh, philosophically crunchy in a way that I don't think they even really got to because we oh, weren't yeah. at all talking about the difference between vengeance and justice and you know who how it is that Daisy and Robbie get to just run around killing whoever they think is a bad person you know um, and well that's you know okay. how Robbie does because he drives away and who the hell could stop him exactly. and then he turns into a man whose skull is not on fire on and fire. everybody's like we don't know how to find him now <laughs> like he's easy <laughs> well no but but like how in the world of this universe in which we pontificated so extensively last season about how vengeance is bad and then we come in here and we're like yeah i know we talked about that last year but fuck it his skull is on fire we're just gonna have a good time <laughs> it is interesting to me how hard they went for vengeance is bad at the end of last season and then we introduce a literal spirit of vengeance in this one and yeah. it goes completely uncommented on yeah. No, I mean, it is kind of interesting. They close the door on vengeance. Mm -hmm. And and what's probably a little bit behind them choosing to not really bring that up is that then they would have to start thinking harder about everything that's going on with Robbie, right? Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, clearly it's not his Uncle Eli that's possessing him because this yeah. Uncle Eli is not a satanic uh, hitman right. for the mm -hmm. Russian mob. Mm -hmm. It's very different. Mm -hmm. Yes. But previous ghost writers and the ones that they're kind of emulating more with this version in the show have been bonded with actual demonic entities or they are 
angelic entities that have been corrupted. So uh, one of the ghost riders is possessed by what used to be an angel of judgment, but because uh-huh. he was kind of tricked and corrupted, he became a spirit of vengeance instead, that Ooh. dark side of justice. But he's still got to hang out with this human being. Like there, In fact, that's some of the Johnny Blaze example. Uh-huh. Johnny Blaze is being punished, and so is the entity that is bonded to him. Neither one of them are very happy about it. Oh but the, my but God. the other entity is this angel mm-hmm. of judgment that became a spirit of vengeance instead. Yeah, there's all this like really interesting stuff. And I appreciate that they kind of kept themselves on the rails here. You know, that they were like, okay. Right. We are going to mess about with supernatural Mm -hmm. things, but we're not going to go, frankly, we're not going to go as hard as Josh would like, but we are going to go pretty hard for supernatural (laughs) nonsense. (laughs) I liked it. It's good. Yeah. And I also I also liked it's it's weird because here we have this whole we've got this whole inhuman thing going on right and that's where all the big new superpowers are coming from uh-huh. um, you know it's really fun and then we have this dude with this crazy power and he's like yeah I'm not even inhuman dude you don't want to know like I've been around forever like that you know it's and it's so funny because it's it's it feels inhuman in its application and yet. Robbie has this whole origin story that we go through, what happened with him and his brother, um, you know, that he just wanted his brother to live. And so, you know, this is why he now is is possessed by this demon and has to kill people, but he only kills bad people. And then when he's, you know, I think the 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 really the moment that I really became interested in Robbie Ray is fairly early on when he's got Daisy and Daisy's like go ahead kill me kill me and he's like all right I'm just looking for a reason just give me a reason I'm just looking I'm, as soon as you're bad as soon as I find out you're bad enough you get your wish um but I I liked that he had you know that he could have killed her if he really wanted to yeah, you know yeah. I mean he could have killed her but he wasn't going to do it unless he found out that she was truly bad and truly evil Right. and that's kind of I mean it's an interesting um, it's an interesting kind of philosophical question that they are not at all interested in answering they're yeah, just like yeah. he only kills bad people we're not going to talk about why we're not going to talk about whether that's an internal struggle for him we're not going to talk about whether the darkness is going to take him or anything like that <laughs> like when you talked about this 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 you know angel of judgment that had been brought down into a spirit of vengeance and like that internal struggle what that must be like I'm like I want to read that story that sounds yeah. really cool you know yeah. like a good a good person struggling with the, the corruption and being into and you with that noir bent that you love. I mean, that's that kind of corruption into darkness is you know noir classic, right? Absolutely. You know? I mean, the yeah. willingness to invite it into yourself, which is yeah. Johnny Blaze and this version of Robbie. Yeah. That there's something you want badly enough that you will let the evil in, but then yeah. even though once it's in, you're like, by God, I am going to drag this thing to where we are at least doing the least amount of evil. We are at the least least going. We will murder everybody. Right. But they're going to be bad guys. And what's kind of, I don't know, I'm not sure how I feel about their decision here because I do feel like I would, I wanted to know if that was Robbie's internal struggle or what. Because there have been versions of the Ghost Rider that literally cannot 
hurt people that are innocent. Like they, right. even if they mm-hmm. want to, they can't because mm-hmm. that's not their job. And if I can digress for comic book stuff for a Absolutely, bit, yeah. I mentioned once upon a time the Illuminati, the group of mm-hmm. uh, you know egotists who thought yes. that they should be making unilateral decisions for everybody. And one of the unilateral decisions is they shot Hulk to another planet. I talked about mm-hmm. this for Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. When Hulk comes back and he's going to kill Every single one of them. (laughs) And they have it coming, right? Mm -hmm. Ghost Rider shows up because he's doing so much damage. And some of the Illuminati are like, oh, thank God. Oh, no. (laughs) Ghost Rider can win in a fight with the Hulk. Thank Uh goodness he showed up. And then they have a little fight. And then he just rides away. And I think it was Doctor Strange who was like, we should not have banked on that because he only defends the innocent and none of us are innocent. And I was like, oh, my God, that is amazing. Right. It's very cool. I like it. No, that is really cool. And so that kind of thing, like I only protect the innocent or I only punish the guilty. Is that Robbie or is it the spirit? And we don't get... I really don't even get enough of a feel for what the spirits deal is in this show because it splits off, which, by the way, I think is a little bit breaking the rules, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, Robbie made a deal. Matt didn't make a deal. You know, right. We don't have any clarity on that. And then we have yeah. this whole thing where, like, you know, Mac lost hope. And so now he's going to be possessed by them. Like, what, what the hell does that mean? I mean, I know what it means because I've seen the rest of the show. Well, but, and we get it teased. Yeah. Like he has, I don't get to see who's in the picture, but I see that he's got a picture with hope, the name hope written on the back. It's like, right, okay. Right. So we so we get a sense that there's a yeah. But it's I don't know. Uh, it's weird. It's a weird thing that he can just like body hop, but yeah. it's Robbie who like owes him something. But apparently he can hitchhike wherever the hell he wants as the Ghost Rider. So um, it's I I don't understand entirely how it all works. I don't understand if he's supposed to be like the Satan or a lackey of Satan or like what it is that's going on. But at the same time, I dig it. I like Robbie as a character. I like him with Daisy. I like that relationship that they have. Um, I like the uh, even though Ghost Rider feels and when you think about all of this season as a whole, which you will be able to do in a couple more episodes, listen. <laughs> Fails when you've seen the whole thing. The Ghost Rider element of it does feel almost at odds with what everything else that we're doing because it's very, very mystical. Whereas the story that we've got going on on the side, which is, you know, no spoilers going to run the rest of the season, is the science fiction Ada story rather than the fantasy devil skull on fire guy story. Yes, but now I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but clearly the thing that puts Ada in a position to do whatever she's going to do is the dark hold. Is the dark hold. So yes. I really so like this weird mix element there. that mm-hmm. yeah, the science yeah. fiction character is going to do science fiction stuff with dark mystical knowledge. It's what does it cool. mean for yeah. a thing with no soul to take in information right. that is soul corrupting? I can't wait to find out. I'm very excited. I, it's it's very interesting and it's real, real good. I, I when we finished, I finished these eight episodes and I was like, oh my god, now I have to watch the rest of it because I just remembered <laughs> everything that happens in this insane batshit season and I fucking love it. So, um, yeah, it's it's really, really good. Um, all right, now so we are going to see Robbie again, right? Is that too spoilery for me to ask? I feel like it would I be weird if he didn't show up again. We will see more Robbie. Yes, okay, we will okay. see more Robbie. Um, just with the Darkhold hanging around, I was like, I don't know how, but I feel like he's going to show up to help them wrap this in a bow way at the end. I just had a feeling. I think that you can trust your gut 
on something like that. I think you're, you're, yeah, yeah. Um, we're not just going to send them away and then that's it after eight episodes, although it was a lot of fun for those eight episodes. <laughs> Listen, um, we spent right. a lot of money on this effect. We're going to set this skull on fire at least 10 more times. Let's go. Right, yeah. right. So the Dark Hold was a lot of fun. Um, yes. I actually really enjoyed this and scientists, of course, interacting with the Dark Hold, right? You know, finding yes. these things that they can do, this power that they have, all this stuff that they can do. I thought that that was really cool. I kind of loved the ghost effect when they're not ghosts, you know, um, and they're they're trying to find their way out of this, you know, out of phase dimension that they're stuck in, and yet at the same time can infect, you know, people so that all they see are these like ghostly figures and then end up, you know, dying. Um, we had to kill May to uh, to cure her of that problem. Um, so it's just, <laughs> that's it's right. Just, We're just gonna <laughs> offhandedly kill May and. Apparently, I really like the bit that they, I guess, didn't tell her afterwards. They were just like, you're fine now because it's on screen when she's like, wait, you killed me? And they're you like, killed me, yeah. just a little and for the greater good. I, I liked it a lot. <laughs> well, and I also love the fact that it's Ada, right? You know, the electricity goes out because we've got all these, you know, watchdogs all over the place or, you know, supposed watchdogs, whatever, um, you know, having uh, attacks, you know, EMP attacks all over the world. Boy, that's the, a subplot that just went right in the C plot tank. Oh, didn't it? it? Did. Like they were just like, yes. we're just going to lock that away. They're there if we need them. You know, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You could have just had a lot of thunderstorms or whatever. But yes, now this electricity is going out. <laughs> hey, no, actually, I really appreciate that this mm -hmm. show is doing something that I have actually heard. I mean, this will be no surprise to you. And it's not really mm -hmm. a surprise to me at this point. We write things, you know. Yes. Mm -hmm. But this show is now working in these pods and things. They are doing a thing that I originally heard discussed by Marv Wolfman, who was mm -hmm. the writer of Teen Titans way back in the 80s when it was selling as mm -hmm. much or more than X-Men. And this is at a time when X-Men was selling more copies than the Bible, right? Remember yeah, all that? Right. And so mm -hmm. I heard him at a con once, and he was talking about how his approach to Teen Titans was always like, I got an A plot. Like you could just uh -huh. go, go to my board and look, I got an A plot. And that is going to run 18 pages out of 22 mm -hmm. every mm -hmm. month. And then I've got a B plot that's going to get two or three pages. And then mm -hmm. I got a C plot that's going to get like a page or two panels, right? <laughs> and then when those three to six months are over, A plot goes away, B becomes A, C becomes uh -huh. B, and we just uh -huh. introduce a new C. I love that this show is like actively doing that yeah. Because again, every superhero show on the CW could stand to learn this lesson. Like it doesn't have to be a 22 episode arc, right? Like Right. Yes, no, I love some stuff. it. And I it makes you it. look like more competent storytellers too. Well, yeah, 22 episodes is way too much to carry these stories. You know, it's just it's too much. So, um I love the way that they're doing it. Um I'm really really enjoying the pods and they do have a different flavor. Like when we come back for the LMD pod, the next uh, run of episodes, it's a different it's a different feel, yeah, you know, when yeah. we get in there and it's it's really really nice. So, I actually enjoy that quite a bit. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, I really, I appreciate that. Even to the point where the watchdogs kind of go away because now mm -hmm. we're doing Ghost Rider stuff, you right. know. Mm -hmm. But I have no doubt that the watchdogs are going to crop back up again. Like, they mm -hmm. are a great low-rent Hydra. 
mm-hmm. lower yeah. anhydra, mm-hmm. you know, lower, yeah, mm-hmm. they're there when you need mm-hmm. to go to that well, but they right. are not a big enough threat on their own that you have to make them the focus of any of the these big pods. Focus of it, it's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. So they're like that perennial, just constant C plot simmering right. around there. I love this. It just honestly, able to stir shit up when you need to kill May and you don't have any way to bring her back. <laughs> um, except this this android who has the charge <laughs> battery has been charged and can bring her back. It is it's really great. I love the way also that May uh, likes Ada. <laughs> May like feels, you know, companionship with Ada who is down to business. Oh, this uh, oddly emotional. emotionless person who oddly just gets right to brass person. tacks. Exactly. Why wouldn't May love her? May, yes, they were made to be the best of friends who never speak to each other. Um, so I love that whole thing. I love um, I love Radcliffe. Radcliffe is a trickster scientist character, and I freaking love it. Love him. He is adorable and always gonna stir shit up. And it's just, I just love him. I love John Hanna in the, in yes. the role. I love everything about Radcliffe. He is adorable. I'll reiterate that the best part of Radcliffe for me is that he is just playing Jonathan from The Mummy, but older and in the MCU. Because it's <laughs> its always, I know about 60% of what I need to know to get this done. Let's go. And when exactly. the 60% runs out, I'll just talk fast. Like, it's wonderful. <laughs> no, he's just, I love this character. I love how complex he is. And I love how you just cannot turn your back on him for a minute. And everything. <laughs> when Fitz comes in and and sees Ada there, you know, and tell me, not for a minute, did you believe that Radcliffe didn't absolutely intend for Ada to walk out buck ass naked and <laughs> scare the shit out of, out of Fitz in the beginning? I, oh, let's say I don't like the subtext that that suggests. No. Um, uh, oh, so, but Radcliffe uh, did that deliberately. That was not an accident. Well, here's the length to which I am prepared to agree with you. I suspect <laughs> that around the house, maybe Ada doesn't wear much. Now oh, that, I would believe from Radcliffe, right? Like, just... Yeah. You know, I'm not going to do anything about this, but I made this masterpiece, and I'm a look at it. Is, <laughs> oh, I'm not saying that it's like a good guy move, but this is Radcliffe we're talking about. Like he's, Radcliffe is not a good guy. Radcliffe is a very complicated uh, character. But he's like a, a, he's a lot of fun. You know? Uh, yeah. He's, tarnished. He's, Brass. Tarnished, tarnished. <laughs> He's a lot of fun. So um, I enjoy him a lot. I love the moment when uh, Gemma comes in and is like, oh, my God, she's beautiful. I can see why you've been spending so much time here. <laughs> Her range of motion. And then Fitz is like, that's a weird thing to say about a person. <laughs> and Gemma's like, she's an android. You know she's an android, right? He's like, yes, I know she's an android. I love that whole interaction with the two of them. I think it is so adorable. But I also love the fact that Gemma is not for a moment fooled no she knows this exactly is her area what's going on yeah, yeah yeah it's wonderful it's it's really really wonderful so i love all of that i think that that is so so much fun um we've got daisy right you know running around uh vigilante going after the watchdogs uh she is our goth girl of pain after everything that happened to her last season <laughs> um but when they need her back and they call her back in she's back you know she's well, doing her thing she makes them work a little harder than that mm-hmm. for it. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, she's really not interested in coming back for. I mean, it's probably three episodes, honestly. It's ep- 
all three episodes is still out of like eight. considering well that she makes yes. them work for it that she's not going back to them that she's working it from her own direction yeah i mean look we all knew daisy was coming back we right. don't spend three solid seasons taking her from basically a lump of jello to an actual <laughs> character and then let her ride off into the sunset we're not exactly. doing that well, i knew she course, was coming yes mm-hmm. yeah but they did not just reintegrate her as smoothly as i thought they right. might well it isn't until the moment too where colson says you don't need us we need you right yeah and then that's when daisy's like all right you know um and then she's in and it's it's really fun to see her um kind of working with them i you know but i love that moment too where like mac and fitz feel so betrayed by her mac finds out that yo-yo's been slipping her the pills and then when mac is trying to talk to her about it and fitz says she turned her back Something bad happened. We've all been through bad things, but she turned her back. And once again, like Fitz feels everything so deeply and so personally. And he just this is family and that is it. And he does not understand. And he's right. He's right. Yeah. I mean, I love those moments with him, though, because it is where the family becomes less metaphor and more reality. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which is great for a TV show and somewhat complicated and not a great idea for a spy organization. <laughs> but we address that this season also. So Yes. Mm-hmm. Imperfectly, you know. perhaps, but we at least look at that problem and go, yes, friends, that yes. is a problem. This is it. This is it. <laughs> for these people, That this is not a spy organization. This is a family. And whenever anybody messes with any of them personally, that's when they all get up into gear. Um, but it's it's nice. I like seeing Coulson not as director. Honestly, when he was director, I felt very conflicted. When he is just a rogue agent out to do whatever the <laughs> fuck he wants... I'm in, you know, sure, and he's more comfortable running with the place. That. I'm much more comfortable with that. I'm much more comfortable with that. Decades of Maverick Cop movies have prepared you for that. But you're like, you can't be in charge and also a Maverick Cop. <laughs> no, you can't. Lieutenant Cogn- Maverick Cop? That's not how this works. Yeah. The cognitive dissonance is not. The fact that it's it's not okay, that we, we recognize that his behavior is outside of the boundaries of what it is that he is supposed to be doing. When the Maverick is in charge of the whole place and everybody who works for S.H.I.E.L.D. is working under this guy who does not give a fuck about anything except the fact that this asshole killed his girlfriend. Like, that's, no, it's too much. When I think about all the people that are working under him, when I think of him being on his own and maybe pulling Mac into his bad girl shenanigans, then okay. (laughs) Then all right. Welcome back, bad girl shenanigans, only this time it's boys and they do about the same level of About the same thing. Although we do get some nice bad girl shenanigans when Daisy takes Gemma basically kind of hostage. That's true. Man, okay, let's talk about Daisy as a supervillain because she is yeah. and she has yeah. a supervillain name, Quake. Uh-huh. Quake. So, I mean, yeah. it's full bore, you know, I have adopted this persona. Now, I don't mm-hmm. actually think she's that supervillainy because she robbed a shady bank. And honestly, Rob the honest banks. They're not that honest. Fucking rob all of them. Even even the best banks are still. <laughs> right. Rob the you shit know, out of them. I'm fine with it. Part of an evil system. Yeah, exactly. But she was only doing it because there was it was financing watchdog mm-hmm. stuff. And, right. and apparently she's out murdering dudes. But the only dude she's murdering are watchdogs, which I'm not sure. Again, there's this... 
there's a moral event horizon that Agents yeah. of S.H.I.E.L.D. is pretending doesn't exist. Like, yes. they are treating moral event horizons like the floor is lava and they're just not playing. <laughs> Except the floor is actually fucking lava and somehow they're getting away with it. Because yeah. there's a lot of like, again, you said it with Coulson. He gets demoted, I guess. Mm. Well, that's something at least. He doesn't he doesn't get demoted. He steps down. He steps down. The new director yeah. comes to him and says, This is what you wanted. Like he's still in charge. Yeah. You know, so I mean that like had he actually gotten demoted? I would have been into it. I would have been well, like, all right. Because then at yeah. least we acknowledge that Colson shit is weird. And that an entire organization full of people, the only people that matter are these like eight people that he cares about and everybody else, fuck them. You know, I mean, it's... It's not something I want in a director of an organization, right? You know, and I actually yeah. kind of like, I like Mace. I mean, Mace, okay, Mace is with his colors and a team that trusts as a team that triumphs. Like... It's gross, but like as we get no, to know him a I little bit better. I could not disagree more. <laughs> this is what running an organization looks like. A team that trusts is a team that triumphs while he puts Simmons under a lie detector every day. I mean, it's kind of like I actually really like him. And part of that is, I will say, without spoiling, influenced by things to come. But I um, like him already, so okay. I can't wait. No, right, this, yeah. I'm looking at him and I'm like, why is everybody mad at this guy? He's fucking great. This is the guy <laughs> who should have been running things forever. Now, do I think that the color coded system is a little silly? I do, because you are a hierarchical organization. <laughs> Pretending that you're not is dumb, okay? But no, the team but that trusts is the team that triumphs. <laughs> a team... A team of spies that trust is a team of spies that is stupid because spies no. don't trust anybody. They have to trust each other. They have to trust each other. <laughs> and they have to trust each other with guardrails, which is mm -hmm. why they have lie detector tests and stuff. <laughs> Listen, if you don't think that our espionage organizations are trotting their people in on the reg to just ask them some random shit about weird stuff in their bank account, Oh, you know, I'm sure. Oh, my great aunt died. Can you yeah. prove it? I mean, that stuff is happening all day, every day in these organizations because you trust, but you verify. Man, right. I'm telling you, Director Mace is great. He's okay. great. It is not good that nobody knows who answers to anybody else. Like the org chart being turned yeah. into this weird rainbow is not good. But, yeah. ever, but the idea behind it of he's like, I want everybody to feel like they're valued. I like that. I like a team but, that tri uh, trusts is a team that triumphs. I hate that. I think that is so fucking cheesy bullshit. A team that trusts is a team that triumphs. It is cheesy bullshit. But let's look at the entrenched culture that that man had to come in and pry loose. <laughs> where you have a bunch All of right. ranking. I'm sorry. Argument one. You just won. <laughs> I'm throwing my flag down. <laughs> Can you just imagine being a yeah. rank and file agent under uh -huh. Director Phil Coulson? Like, I cannot even. No, nope, you're just right. Be, you're I'm right. just clocking in like the cartoon, like the the cartoon wolf and the cartoon dog. <laughs> like they're just checking in. He's like, "Hey, Ralph, what vendetta are we on today?" Kerchunk. <laughs> hey, I don't know. I haven't spoken with the director yet. Kerchunk. I mean, this is. 
No, it is. It's a completely crazy, crazy, crazy place. But I love all of it. And I love when Gemma calls him out on his bullshit and is like, I don't think you want me to take the lie detector test because then I'll have to tell them about the microexpressions you had when you lied about Vienna. And the look on his face where he's like, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's also it's just, proper it's spy really, business. It's really nice. I like it. I am very interested to see exactly how those chickens come home to roost with director mm-hmm. Mace because yes. I know who he is and mm-hmm. I did or at least I know who his 616 counterpart is right mm-hmm. and so when he said on TV that he was inhuman I was like oh they made him oh interesting and then immediately they undermined it and I was like yeah. I like that too because he's uh-huh. a good guy that is a lie told by a good man like yeah. I think he got himself in deep with the senator by telling a good lie, like a mm-hmm. useful lie that did do the PR work that he wanted it to do. So it's, mm-hmm. it is a bad thing, but it's but honestly, I mean, we don't even have to go into a big ethical discussion. It's not always bad to lie. Yeah. And, yeah. and that feels like a very selfless mm-hmm. lie because he put mm-hmm. himself really in the crosshairs there, yeah, even did. more than he already was. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, huge fan of director Mace. Big, big fan. Hope he hangs around forever. I know good goddamn well he doesn't, but I'm going to be sad about it. (laughs) He's a really, really fun guy. Uh, But speaking of the senator, let's go ahead and visit a little bit with the senator, uh, Ellen Nadir, right? Yeah. Who we are. um, There's a thing that is happening. The last time, the last episode of Listen Up, A-Holes, we had this discussion where the super racist, white supremacist kind of language that was being used by the watchdogs um, is being given to, in in the case of the last episode, uh, to a black man to mm-hmm. to deliver. Right now, we're giving that language to a, um, a a South Asian woman. Right, I think she's I think she's Indian. So there's something about this, and I kind of wanted to discuss it because I'm not really sure if I'm correct in the way that I'm responding to this. <laughs> But my response to it is is that there feels like a cognitive dissonance um, in the way that, that you feel that cognitive dissonance whenever we try to colorblind things, right? Yes. We take language, language that is is traditionally used in reference to power structures, right? Mm-hmm. And we give that language to, um, you know, to, in these cases, a black man and a South Asian woman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we do that. And then, but use the same language, and it, it brings in this sense of um, a cognitive dissonance, a lack of context for it, and it's bigotry. You know, I mean, it's yeah. bigotry, but it's bigotry in in language that tends to be used by the powerful to take away power from from people who are already you know, suffering, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the kind of bigotry that you might find in a situation where you've got suddenly superpowered people, right? <laughs> um, so all of it feels really weird to me. Uh, the only, the thing that I get is I get that colorblind sense of it, where we are taking these this type of language out of context, putting it into just anybody's mouth like like we don't give this language to a white person i that feels deliberate to me Mm -hmm. because when you have a white person with the power and the privilege that comes with uh, living in a society that is just rippling with white supremacy um that that then these things um 
are actually a, like, you know, we're actually seeing the source from whence they came. Mm-hmm. Right here, we're like, it's like we're trying to file the serial numbers off of that. But I don't think this kind of language that you can take out the the systemic racism from which it springs and which it supports yeah, by giving yeah. that language to somebody who is not white. Um, feels weird to me. But I'm not. Sh- I, but I still haven't. I still haven't really been able to fully articulate all the ways in which it just feels super wrong. It's just that's all I've been able to come up with. But it makes me horribly uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable with um, with Max Brother, and it's making mm-hmm. me uncomfortable now with Ellen Nadir. I think there's there's a couple of things uh, worth saying here. One of them is this really reflects on why the X-Men have always been kind of an imperfect metaphor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mentioned that the original team was all waspy kids, uh, yes. which is, mm-hmm. a ju- you know, it's just it's a misstep as far as your metaphor goes. Yeah. But even when you bring in a multi-ethnic and multinational team, which is the team that then, you know, lit the world on fire and the reason mm-hmm. we all still care about the X-Men, it's still a little shaky as a metaphor because it's not until way later that we start having writers show up with any grasp of intersectionality. Yes. To Mm -hmm. talk about how Storm, for instance, Storm's life as a black woman who is also a mutant Mm -hmm. is very different than Cyclops, who is a white American male who is also a mutant. Are they both persecuted for being mutants? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that the rest of their life experience is the same? No. Like, it's really... Anyway, so it's worth saying, I still like the metaphor, but this is is kind of a good example of why that metaphor kind of falls off a cliff at a certain point. It does. And it's the colorblindness of it. It's the idea that that we really, like, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we don't recognize race really we don't recognize the reality of of what happens you know the way that different people are treated differently the mm-hmm. way that systems are are you know built within our country to to make things harder for particular groups of people and when we fail to acknowledge that and yet borrow language from part of that system and then sort of like crack off a piece of it and then put it in the hands of somebody um, who, who that weapon would who be would pointed be at usually. Would be used yes. against. Yes. Exactly. Um, it feels like the lack of acknowledgement of race and and those kinds of issues within our society feels really weird. And when we just live in a colorblind space, like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. up until now, I think has 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 felt to me, you know, fairly like everybody's equal, women and men. I mean, watching it as a woman, I know I feel much, much less offended than I feel watching most <laughs> things that have women in sure. them, you know, yeah. especially women who fight the way that these women fight, yeah. you know. But they're Utterly still... competent yeah. people of color and women and women of color, and everyone is just... Super on the team. Everyone on the team is competent Mm -hmm. and respected, and by the writers, like by the script, by the show. I guess like like holistically respected, but they don't do nearly as good a job with the racial angle. And we've seen this with Mm -hmm. not exactly this team, but some overlap because we've seen this on Mm -hmm. Agent Carter, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's weird and uncommented on that in 1950. You yeah. have Asian American, essentially yeah. FBI agents. The hell you did. 
who Absolutely are just not. right. We're pretending that this kind of racism does not exist. And yeah. and I think that, you know, especially when, you know, subtextually, right? I mean, we just referenced in our, our previous episodes some writing by um, by some writers of color, and we will again link them in the show notes of this episode, talking about how our our people of color, our black characters, our, our characters of color are almost universally monstrous and killed, right? Um, That doesn't feel like a coincidence to me that that's what's happening to these characters of color, that they are are corrupted, they are made into monsters. Um, You know, Rhea, uh, Deathlock, right? Uh, Lash, Andrew, right? Um, So many, uh, Akila Amadar, right? Was that her name, Mm, Amadar? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, way early, yeah. Way early in the first few episodes, right? Honestly, Um, that continues into this season also, um, because Robbie is, largely heroic but yes. not entirely heroic and is monstrous and monsterified yes and mm-hmm. eli mm-hmm. is full bore the villain here right you know right um which is interesting like it's a good mm-hmm. it's a good choice i mean i yes. it's not i'm not complaining about the, the sort of narrative of that but when you right. look at all and then at the end where do they go well, maybe they're dead, maybe they're not, but they're not on this show anymore. They're right. not in this world anymore. And we they monstered might as well up be dead. Mac. Who did we monster up out of everybody? Who did Ghost Rider take out of everybody on that team, right? Not one yeah. of the white dudes, right? Tell me Took you Mac. wouldn't have rather seen Chloe Bennett Ghost Rider. Come I, on. Oh, for sure, right? You know, um, but I mean, this is the thing. Like, and then it's Mac, and we've already had Mac, you know, possessed and turned into a monster in season two, right? Mm-hmm. So we've seen this happen, and then Triplet, right? I still will never forgive them for taking Triplet away from me. I never love that forgive. man never taking forget. Triplet. And I mean, like, I liked Lance Hunter, but you take Triplet and you give me Lance Hunter? No. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Trip's my dude. Like, I love that guy. Um, so all of these things combined, when when these things happen, but in a context in which it feels like we're saying we don't see race, yeah. like, I think I think you do. I think you do, and I think it's something that needs to be addressed and talked about and acknowledged um, and the colorblindness of it um, in when we're bringing these elements in, you know, to 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 create a utopian world in which, oh, my God, women are treated as equals and oh, my God, black people, people of color treated as equals. I like seeing that. Mm-hmm. I liked Black Panther. Black Panther was one of the first times as a woman I felt like I'd go to a major movie and not feel like I was being slapped the whole time. It was awesome. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Um, but that was a, a particular culture where they had earned that. You yeah, know, Where yeah. they specifically acknowledged all of the horrible things that were going on in the world and said, we're not going to be a part of that. And that's how you got that, right? Um, so, I mean, that was earned. Um, here, it feels like we're just not going to look at it because we don't want to deal with it. But then we're going to borrow from it yeah. in some spaces. And that's where I feel like a real sense of cognitive dissonance. Not that I don't want to see my women characters, my characters of color, my black characters respected and treated as equals. I do want to see that. But I, I want to see it as something that we've earned rather than something that we have whistled past that darkness. And when we monsterify our people of color, I think that that sends a very clear, although implicit, but a very clear message that we're not 
colorblind, that we are not all equal. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. That's the de- Every now and then, we digress into writer's corner, and I feel yes, like that's, that's what this is. This is fine, yes. though. Because we have often lauded this show for mm-hmm. having people of color both in front of the camera and above the line, and we yes. appreciate it. Yes, but very much. Mm-hmm. Colorblindness as a concept is dangerous, and you can yes. see it here because mm-hmm. you can imagine, I can imagine, as a completely 100% privileged person who doesn't mm-hmm. want to write about straight white men all the time, yes, I sympathize. I get mm-hmm. it, this, this attraction to the idea of colorblindness. But the problem with it is, in terms of fiction, there's mm-hmm. lots of real world problems, but right. in terms of fiction, your problem is, if you decide that you're not going to see race and therefore not say anything implicit about race, mm-hmm. you will accidentally still say a bunch of stuff about race. Yes, you will. Which is how you stumble into all of the dead people being people of color, all of the monsters being people of color. Mm -hmm. You must, as a responsible writer, work to make the race of your characters matter to the level that it makes sense in terms of your story. But you can't ignore it because you are still going to accidentally or incidentally say things about race. You need to be, in other words, you need to be combating your own bias. Implicit bias, which is absolutely part of who we all are. And we all need to be able to. In your fiction is by being purposeful with what you say about race. So that when you make the mistake and do something accidental or or implicit, Mm -hmm. part of your implicit bias, you can say, okay, that was a mistake, but at least I'm trying well, not, not for uh, yeah. back padding. I'm saying like right. this is the work you do when you try and short circuit that with colorblindness. What you're honestly what you're only left with is the negative. Like exactly. the colorblindness is at best a null, and it's mm-hmm. not really a null because you're gonna you're going to bring a bunch of negative stuff with it. Well, it's also not acknowledging you know like the real power of story, right? Like here yes. we have this huge cultural trauma, right? We have traumatized. Um, the culture traumatized, the culture is abusive, it has traumatized people, right? The people who are watching this show, you know? The people Mm -hmm. who are reading books, the people who are going to movies, right? Have been traumatized. To have that trauma seen and acknowledged, I think is important. Absolutely. Because otherwise it's just more gaslighting, right? Um, And of course, you know, we fully recognize that we say all of this as two people who are so very white, right? (laughs) Um, And that what we see and what we, you know, understand is is probably missing a lot of elements too. But um, but we want to recognize that and sort of take a look at that and, and ask these questions at the same time. I also recognize that this is very, very difficult. Um, and that a lot of times we as writers, there's a concept I talk about all the time in my podcast called terroir, right? Where what is in the ground gets in the grapes, gets in the wine. What is in the culture gets in the writer, gets in the stories, right? So these are not, I am not saying that these are evil, horrible, racist people who are doing this work. Um, I love agents. Of Shield, I love the fact that we have so much more diversity above the line than you usually see on these shows. I think that that's wonderful. I think that it's absolutely a step in the right direction. But I also think that just because we're taking a step in the right direction doesn't mean that we've gone far enough. Yes. Um, and yes. that we always need to ask these questions and interrogate ourselves and interrogate our stories because this implicit messaging of all the black people being monstrous of all the black people being killed in other uh, circumstances. We don't see a lot of it here because we don't have a lot of LGBTQ in, um, in a separate Marvel. issue. 
a separate issue entirely, lack of representation, but the, you know, the kill your gays trope that we see mm-hmm. that over and over and over again, um, that these are a lot of messages which in, in a color, quote unquote, colorblind world in which we want everybody to be equal, we are demonstrating that, that we don't see people equally, that we don't value black and brown bodies the way that we value white bodies. Yes. Um, yes. And that those are the things that we need to reckon with and we need to grapple with in our stories and we need to recognize them in our stories because then they won't this, these things these mistakes that people make because they're human and I don't want to excuse racism I don't excuse racism but I do think that there is space for people to learn and to get better and to do better and I want to keep that space open for people without like this blanket condemnation of people who I don't think are, are intending to do any harm but sometimes you do, you know, and you've got to be able to talk about it. You've got to be able to acknowledge it. So I'm going to say that um, without I didn't I couldn't find anything written by critics of color on this particular issue. So Joshua and I picked it up and ran with it. We do reference the work that we were referencing last week, which we will also put in the show notes this week. Um, we thank you for your time and your patience and anybody who wants to contact us and and tell us whatever we may have gotten wrong or failed to see. We are open and grateful for anybody who wants to do that. Um, but I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. I think I'm throwing out more questions than answers but i think it's important that we ask them well i agree which is good news because i'm the other person (laughs) on this podcast and i'm i'm gonna say i'm not gonna i also looked for some references for this and couldn't really Mm -hmm. find it so i am not going to comment too much but Mm -hmm. i feel like a lot of this could also be applied to gabe who i believe other than deathlock who Mm -hmm. was disabled and kind of rebuilt Mm-hmm. Gabe is our only banal, like normal, what, yeah. what normal disability looks like in the real mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And Gabe is basically perfect in right. every mm-hmm. way. Like mm-hmm. he's fine with the fact that he lost the use of his legs and Robbie is not. And mm-hmm. I'm trying my thought process. So I'm throwing out questions, not answers myself. Yes. Here, is mm-hmm. that when it comes to that, I feel like it's maybe trending in the direction of that colorblindness where we're not taking seriously that that is a form of fridging, you know, Mm -hmm. to motivate Robbie with his brother's suffering. Yes. Um, And then, and then there's maybe a little bit of like kind of respectability politics mixed in there because Mm -hmm. Gabe is super fine with it and Robbie is not, you know, Mm -hmm. but so the person that it happened to is fine right Mm -hmm. but the people next to him are not fine and the people next to him's pain is more important than his acceptance in terms of the narrative Mm -hmm. again i was not really able to find anybody who spoke directly to this but it's similarly stuff that didn't quite sit right with me um and it was especially noticeable to me because gabe in the comic books is a paraplegic but he was Mm -hmm. since birth Mm mm-hmm because of Uncle Eli being an asshole, honestly. Yeah. But he was mm-hmm. also developmentally disabled, which is not a route that they go at all on mm-hmm. this show. And in fact, right. make Gabe a super student on the mm-hmm. show. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there's any kind of, you know, serious, horrible, ulterior motive mixed into that necessarily. Mm-hmm. But it is a series of choices that are worth inspecting to talk yeah. about how they got there and maybe why they got there and that maybe there are a series of decisions that we can look at and understand how they made them mm-hmm. but say you probably should have made slightly different ones you know i don't know exactly yeah, what those decisions are because i wasn't able to find anybody mm-hmm. to speak to this but i 
I have feelings. Kind of like you were just disquieted by this white supremacy talk coming out of the mouths of people of color. There's yeah. enough stuff sort of swirling around Gabe that I'm like, I don't feel great about this. Yeah. And I wish that I could put my finger on it, but I feel like I can't because it's, you know, outside of my lived experience. Right, right. Yeah. And and I think that the way in which we write about people with disability um, is, is further behind <laughs> the oh, way that yeah. we write and think about it. I mean, especially in superhero stuff. Yeah, we tend to not be as aware of of what the kinds of representations that we that we bring in with people with disabilities. And again, this is why we just need much, much more representation of everybody above the line so that we can when we tell these stories, we've got people who actually know what these stories mean. Yeah. And, and the messages that they send. Um, I know that there has been I've been very lucky in that there have been a couple of people within the uh, Chipperish Discord community, Patreon. Mm -hmm. supporters who have turned me on to some great critics um, with with disabilities um, who I've been reading about a little bit more but I don't think I've read enough that I feel like I can step in and bring any light to it but I will say if anybody is listening and wants to share with us anything that they know or any writers that they have um, with disabilities we would love to share those as well with the audience um, but yeah I think those are some questions that are really, really well worth asking. The other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit is watching Ada go gradually darker and darker and darker throughout <laughs> yeah. uh, throughout these eight episodes. Um, I love Ada like so much. I love Ada keeping May in a closet, replacing May with an LMD, mm -hmm. uh, snapping Nathanson's neck. At the end of this, right, we're seeing this darkness come in and you just know that giving the android the dark hold was possibly not <laughs> the greatest decision. But what were we going to do? That was the only way to save Coulson yeah. and Fitz. Um, so so now we've saved Coulson and Fitz and we have landed into an even bigger fire as what was our B story shifts into our A space. Um, so I find that really, really interesting. And I'm kind of interested in like you. You haven't seen the rest of it. So how do you feel about this whole Ada thing? Were you on to Ada from the beginning that she was going to be trouble? Well, yes. We talked <laughs> about this a little bit at the mm -hmm. end of the last yeah. episode because you asked me, was I excited for season four? And I was like, hell yeah, for Ghost Rider. And then I mentioned that I knew that LMDs were a thing. So yes, I expected that she would be a problem. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, I'm still a little trepidatious about another rogue AI and rogue mm -hmm. androids. Mm -hmm. uh, just again, because we've seen it, right? Not even just in the MCU, which we have. But, yeah. but the idea that it was an evil, th like a legitimate capital E evil thing that mm -hmm. causes the AI to go rogue is possibly a very interesting angle. Like I'm I'm going in a little more optimistic than I expected because I'm like, oh, I mean, if it's Android plus evil sorcery book, tell me yeah. more. Yeah, I will say, I will say that plus other ways in which this expresses itself. I think it is probably my favorite uh, evil android gone evil kind of thing that I've ever seen. So I'm just going to say... I'm excited. From that perspective, I think that it's pretty good. All right. So, Joshua, what's your favorite part? I, I kind of have a, uh, a montage of favorite parts. Yes. My, mm -hmm. my montage of favorite parts is every time one of our core cast sees Ghost Rider flame on. <laughs> Because every, I honestly it's think fun. they kind of downplay it more it's than they fun. ought to. Yeah. But I like mm -hmm. that everybody's like, 
just wide eyes, jaw hanging slack, like, oh, what the, we've seen, <laughs> what is this? You know, I love all of that. I love, and even yeah. when they're like, it's fine, he's in the containment unit. And I'm like, oh, kiddos, buckle up. No, that's not how that's going to go. So I like all of that. I really like just Ghost Rider just existing, kind uh -huh. of upsetting the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. apple cart very much. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about yourself, Lonnie? You know, I have to say, there's a lot of stuff I love here. There's a lot of stuff I love. Um, but I think that Gemma, the moment that she's like, she's an android. She's beautiful. What fits you didn't know she was an android. Like, I love, <laughs> I love Gemma. I love everything Gemma. I love Gemma with Daisy getting into bad girl shenanigans again. Yeah. I love, I love Gemma saying, I can't voluntarily do this. And Daisy's pulling a gun on her and saying, okay, you don't have Great to volunteer. News. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I just, I think, I think everything Gemma is probably my favorite um, in this, in this part. Although there's a lot of stuff that, I mean, I love Robbie. I love the head on fire. I love the, the satanic Dodge Charger. Um, like all of it. I think there's so much going on here that I really love. But I have to tell you, the rest of season four, I like even more than what we've done already. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not going to apologize for being trepidatious on rogue AIs, but I am prepared to have I'm my mind blown. I'm interested to see if you like it. I'm yes. interested to see if you like it. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I'm at Joshua Unruh, and Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and the hashtag is ListenUpAholes. This episode of Listen Up A-Holes is brought to you by the Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Listen Up A-Holes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our July producers. Abigail, Alice, Erica, Rose, Jonathan, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, and Shelly. Thank you, producers, and to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, this message is for you. You know what's a good light source? A guy with a flaming head. That's true, though. <laughs> it is! To find out how you, too, can support Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or try to figure out how anything ever got done in the old-timey days. That's also true. Also true. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We will be back next time with our discussion of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 4, Episodes 9 to 15, The LMD Arc. Until then, it's powerful, it's deadly, and now probably in the hands of a pissed-off mad scientist ghost. So thoughts? Feelings? This is Safe Space. <laughs>